The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So over the last several weeks, we have used as a a running illustration and kind of an inspiration for our series, a memory uh, of mine when I was a child. One of my favorite childhood Christmas memory is when we went up, I was five years old, we went up north to Virginia to stay with my grandparents. Now here's what was going on. They had just retired from the Midwest um, and they were going to retire down in Florida and I grew up down here in Florida. But in between that retirement, there was a distant relative that had a house in this small little historic town in Virginia and they were letting my grandparents stay there for about a year as they were transitioning. And so my family said, hey, uh, let's go up and just uh, join uh, your grandparents for, for Christmas. And so we all went up there and it was just such a memorable Christmas for many reasons. It was the first time I'd ever been up north in the cold. First time I'd ever seen snow was that Christmas. Um, but really what made it so magical was this house. And I think part of it that added to the mystique is it belonged to some distant relative I'd never met, never heard of, as that added to the mystique. But the house itself was this old mansion and it, it had that, that all that old furniture in it. My sister and I were convinced that if we walked into the right wardrobe at the right time, we'd find a portal into Narnia or something like that. And so we were constantly exploring it. We knew that if we just looked hard enough, we'd find secret passageways and corridors and treasures that had been long forgotten, and we'd uncover these treasures. And so it was such a, a magical Christmas. Now, we never saw any of those, any of those treasures. We never found any of the, the secret passageways passageways or the secret corridors, but I'll always remember it of being just a really magical Christmas, um, trying to hunt for those treasures. And we've been using that as a, as a running illustration of looking through and hunting through a, a large old mansion. We've used that as a running illustration because when Jesus entered the world, according to the Bible, there's all of these blessings. If we welcome Jesus into our life, there's all these blessings that we have in our life that maybe sometimes we just we don't even think about. There's all these treasures, very real in our life, that we, that we totally miss. And so we've been using as this illustration of kind of exploring an old mansion and uncovering long-forgotten treasures in our lives. And so we're, we're going to do that a, a, again today, but in order for us to do this, you're going to need to use your imagination. Do you think you can do that? Can you use your imagination today? you think you guys can do that? That's terrible. I mean, this is, this is Christmas Eve, for goodness sake. Do you guys think you can use your imagination? Do you think you can do that? Thank you. Thank you. All right. If you need to go get another cup of coffee, that's fine. Okay. I want you awake. All right. So I need you to use your imagination. We're going to go to that old mansion. So I want you to imagine with me that we are in an old mansion, in an old library. You know, last couple of weeks, there was this harp sound that accompanied that transition. And you know, these first few weeks, I thought it was a little much. I didn't really like the harp. It's a very temperamental harp. Then it got real bad the, the third week and everything. But now that it's gone, I kind of miss it, right? It just seemed like a lame transition with no harp sound. Do we, do we have any harp sound back there, dog? Can we do any harp? Oh, come on. That's terrible. That's all we get. 
It's a very passive-aggressive harp. Anyway, all right, we're here in this old library, and um, we've been exploring this old mansion, okay? So there have been times in this series that we've gone to like a, a large hallway, or we've, we've gone from the library into this huge foyer with these two winding staircases, or we went into this gigantic cellar, and we've been trying to uncover uh, all of these different treasures, and we've gone through a couple secret passageways and some corridors. We found some scary things along Along the way, there were some spiders at one point and this crazy magical suit of armor that was trying to chase me down. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll not encounter any of that today. But we're here in this, in this uh, library, and um, part of the reason we're starting here is because there's this old passage in, in the Old Testament, and it's one of the most famous Christmas passages from the Old Testament. It's out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go to Isaiah chapter 9 uh, uh, with me. We're going to look at verse 6. Now, as a reminder, this was written 700 years before the time that Jesus was born. But it's looking forward to the birth of the Messiah. And what it says is really powerful. Let's take a look at this together. It's Isaiah 9. We're going to look at verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now this passage is a, a beautiful and, and maybe familiar passage. It, it starts off by saying this, there's a son that was born, a child that was born, a son that was given. What that's saying is this Messiah, when he comes, this Messiah is a gift. He's been given to humanity. Every time this Christmas season, you see Jesus depicted as an infant. Maybe it's his mother Mary holding baby Jesus. Maybe you see it on a Christmas card or on a decoration. You see a little Jesus in a manger with hay. Every time you see baby Jesus, what this is saying is we're not just at Christmas time commemorating when a, a famous great man was born. That's not what this is. It's not just commemorating that moment. Whenever you see baby Jesus born at Christmas time and you think back, why are we celebrating? We're celebrating that we have been given an incredible gift. The greatest treasure the universe could receive, we've been given Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is a gift. In fact, the most famous Bible verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16, and what it says, it says, God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. The, the gospel is God giving a gift that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life, will live forever. Jesus is a gift that has to be received. Well, in what way is Jesus a gift? He was the Messiah. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified on a cross, but that's what he came to do. He came to sacrifice his life. And what the Bible teaches is that if we receive the gift of Jesus, all of our sin goes on Jesus, and Jesus is punished for our sin. We're washed clean, and we are forgiven. Now, here's the thing. We're not just forgiven for our sins up into that moment. We enter in, the, the work of Jesus is so powerful, we enter into a state of forgiveness and our sins are, are forgiven past, present, and future. But it doesn't end as a tragedy. 
On the third day, he rose again from the dead, defeating death. And that comes with Jesus as well. That's part of the gift. When you receive the son, you're receiving forgiveness of sins and the defeat of death. You're receiving eternal life. If you receive Jesus as the gift to you from Father God, then you're receiving forgiveness. You're receiving eternal life. It is salvation. You say, well, no, I, I mean, I know how to get to heaven. I mean, you have to be good. And I, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you have to be like, we all do good and bad. So just make sure you're, you do some more good than, than bad. So you just have to be good enough and then you'll be saved. You'll go to heaven, right? The Bible is absolutely clear. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. Well, yeah, but it's, it's like being a part of the right religion. You know, like I, you know, when I'm religious, I, I do the church thing and the Jesus thing. So like, I mean, that's my religion. That's my heritage. That's the title I go with. The Bible is explicitly clear. You can't be religious enough to get to heaven. It says it in Ephesians chapter two. It is not by works of righteousness, but it is by grace that we are saved through faith. How is someone saved? You have to receive the gift of the son that's offered to you. Because you're like, what does that mean? Like, what does it look like to receive the son, Jesus? Well, notice the next thing that it said. It says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. This child that is born, Jesus, born, the Messiah, has the government on his shoulders. He's a ruler. He's the ruler. To receive the gift of the Son into your life, you're receiving a ruler into your life. You're receiving a king into your life. To be saved is to receive the Son and make him king over your life. In Romans, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, king, boss, the ruler of your life, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to be saved? Receive the gift of the Son, 1 John 5. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Receive the gift of the Son, and in so doing, you're receiving a king, and you're making him king over your life. You're going to be given an opportunity to do that today if you've never done that before. But maybe you say, look, well, I'm a little resistant. I mean, like, I don't mind, like, having some religion and maybe dialing up a little bit more Jesus in my life, but to give my whole life over to Jesus, let him run my life. That's a little bit much. I don't want to be that fanatical. I mean, I like my life. I like leading my life, ruling my life. I, I like having control over my life. But the only reason we'd say that is because we don't know what, what type of king he is. So the very next thing that this says in this passage is it lists the various titles that Jesus has. Now, this idea of uh, putting titles on rulers, that is something that has happened all the way through history. It goes all the way back to the pharaohs. They would not just pharaoh so-and-so, they'd have all these titles. And that happens actually in modern times as well. Modern rulers and kings, get, they get all these extra titles as well. Um, so you probably know, just a few years ago, England, they, they crowned uh, King Charles as king. But his name, formally speaking, speaking is not just uh, King Charles. He's got all of these other titles as well. Um, let me read you some of his, this is his name formally. Here's his name. His Royal Highness Prince Charles Philip Arthur George. 
Prince of Wales, Duke of Cornwall, Duke of Rothesay, Duke of Edinburgh, Earl of Chester, Earl of Carrick, Earl of Mar Marianneth, Baron of Renfro, Baron of Greenwich, Lord of the Isles, and Great Steward of Scotland, Knight of the Garter, Knight of the Thistle, Knight of Grand Cross of the Order of the Bath, Order of Merit, Knight of the Order of Australia. And that's not the whole list. I could keep going, but we would be here for a while, and I'm going to spare you from that. He has a lot of titles. Apparently, the more important you are, the more titles you get. Or it's the other way. You're like Bono, and it's just like one name. It's like one of the two extremes. Okay, I'm somewhere in the middle, unfortunately. Okay, but kings, like you get all of these extra titles. It was a common thing that happened. These are the titles that the Messiah is given. Now, these are not made up. This is from the, the Bible, which means this is from the Word of God. That means these titles are not just an illustration of something. They're the actual titles of the King of Kings. That means these titles are important words for the entire universe. Here's how the Messiah is described. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Week one in the series we talked about, he's a wonder of a counselor as a ruler he can do things that no other ruler could ever do. He's a wonder. Specifically, what this passage says is he turns our gloom into glory. He takes the broken pieces of your life and he can rewrite the story and turn it into something beautiful. Only Jesus can do that. He brings the treasure of redemption into your life. You receive Jesus as the gift. He brings redemption into your life. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. That word mighty in the ancient Hebrew is a mighty war champion hero. And he does for you, when you receive King Jesus as a gift in your life, you get for, in your life what all of God's people throughout history have gotten. You get a God who fights on behalf of his people. He fights your battles for you. And when you have God on your side, you have all the power in your corner. When you receive Jesus in your life, you get the, the, the treasure of victory. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father. You get, when you receive Jesus into your life as a gift, when you accept that gift, you get adopted, according to the Bible, you get adopted by God and he sees you as his son or daughter. And like a good father, he can't help himself but provide for his children. But you don't get provision on your terms. It's not just as the child. Well, this is what I think I want. No, he's so much better than that. He's too good for that. He gives you perfect provision. He gives you eternal provision. He's, he, he brings whatever you perfectly need in your life. He'll take your circumstances and turn it around for good. He perfectly provides. If you receive Jesus in your life, you get the treasure of provision in your life. And the last title is it says he's the prince of peace. He's the ruler of of peace. Now, now this word peace is a very significant word in the ancient Hebrew, and it's different than our English word for peace. So we don't have a one-to-one -one correlation in English to translate it, so it's typically translated as peace, and that's a part of it. But when we use peace in English, we use peace meaning like the absence of something. So let's say there's two warring countries, and they decide to come together for peace talks. They're talking about, hey, what if we no longer fought? It's, it's talking about the absence of war. Or maybe you're at work and people won't uh, quit bothering you. They keep coming into your office and they keep wanting to ask you questions. And you're like, could you just leave me in peace? 
What are you wanting? You don't you want people to stop bothering you or you don't want the drama to go away or the problems to go away. You want to remove, you want the absence of that. Or maybe it's been a long day and you just want to end the day on the couch reading a book, but people keep coming up to you needing things from you and you say, I just want some peace and quiet. What is it that you want? You want the absence of noise. You don't want the TV going and music going and the cell phone chirping. No, you, you just want some peace and quiet. You want the absence of noise. See, when we use peace, we use it as the absence of maybe war or conflict or drama or, or problems or the absence of, uh, of noise. We use peace as the absence of something. But this Hebrew word here is one of the richest most profound words in the entire Hebrew language. It's one of the most significant words in ancient Hebrew all the way up to modern Hebrew. That word that we're translating peace in the ancient Hebrew, that word is shalom. And shalom is so much more than the absence of something. Now, let me, let me grab uh, something where it's good. We're here in the library. Let me grab this dictionary. I want you to read. This is a Hebrew lexicon here. I want to read to you what is the definition of shalom. Um, look what it says. Uh, I'll just read you some of the words in here. This is what shalom is. Shalom is completeness, safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, peace, tranquility, contentment. See, shalom is not just the absence of things. When we say peace, it's like we're saying it's, the, it's vacuuming out all the bad things and leaving a, a, a nice, tranquil void. No, no, shalom is so much more. Yes, it's, it's vacuuming out all of the bad things, but it's filling it with all the good things. Wholeness, completeness, thriving, prosperity. It's like holistic thriving in our lives. And what this is saying is that he is the prince of thriving in our lives. He's the prince of shalom. It's not the absence of a thing. It's the presence of something. Well, what is it the presence of? Let's just look at one more verse. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 7. Let's just look at one more. It says this, Of the increase of his government and of... What's the word there? Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that last line. The passion, the zeal, the fire of Almighty God. And what title does he use for himself? The Lord of hosts. That's the commander of all the armies of heaven. That is a title of power and of force. He says the zeal and the passion and the fury of Almighty God will accomplish this. Accomplish what? This ruler, this prince of Shalom, it says the increase of his government will never end. King Jesus his reign, his rule will continue growing and extending and his reign and his rule will extend to the ends of the universe. But did you notice one other thing? It says, as his government increases, something else increases as well. Of the increase of his reign and his rule, of the increase of his peace, of, of his rule and of peace and of shalom, 
because when the reign and rule of Jesus grows, shalom grows with it. Now that's profound because that's not true of very many things. There's not, we can often take good things and when we expand it in our lives, it doesn't always mean, if we give it more and more of that good thing, doesn't always mean more and more good. In fact, sometimes we can expand it to where it's actually doing damage. Uh, I think there's something that we can use to illustrate. In fact, I think there's another place here in our, in our old mansion that we can go to that's going to help illustrate this idea. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in through the secret passageway into the corridor because I think this mansion has one more secret up its sleeve for us. Uh, I'm going to head in here and, and we'll see. I think I know where this is going. All right. I think... All I need to do is get to that door back there. Let me go see. Yeah, this looks right. Oh, wow. Oh, man. I think I know what this is. If I'm right, I gotta look around here a little bit. Okay. Yeah, we're going down here for sure. Oh, look at this. Oh, man. This, this is the actual house that, from when I was a kid, the one that I actually stayed at, and we, it was this old, mysterious house that we explored, and this is it. This is the actual one. All right, we got to go. We got to see it from the outside. Oh, wow. Yep. That's it. Wow. It's, it, it's so familiar now that I see it. The way the roof line is, all those like old little details around the porch and the wood siding. You can see why it has that old timey magical look to it. Wow. Ooh, it's cold out here though. Man, Virginia winter. All right, I'm going back in. It's too cold. Man, being in this old house, my uncle told me this was built in 1840. And being in this old house, I mean, I look around and I, I see it and I'm like, this is, this is definitely the house. I mean, there's so much here that I, that I recognize. Really jogs my memory. I mean, there's so many things here that I've forgotten or that I are different than I remembered. I mean, especially you saw, I mean, this is a beautiful old house, but it is definitely not a gigantic mansion. Um, uh, if you've been journeying with us the last few weeks, I mean, the way we've depicted this mysterious mansion is a humongous library or huge winding staircases in a foyer. I mean, there's no secret passageways that I've seen or treasure. 
Now there's some things that are different that I'm glad about. I have not seen gigantic spiders and there's no mysterious suits of armor trying to tackle me all the time. So that's good. But yeah, there's, there's no elevators. There's, it's much smaller in scale than, than I remember. I mean, even just this staircase behind me, I mean, the way it was in my mind when you walked through the door, it was this huge grand staircase and it's fine. It's beautiful, but it's just interesting being back here how things tend to just grow in your mind, especially if, it was a, if it's a good thing, it kind of expands and grows in our minds. Uh, it just makes me think, all right, I better get back upstairs. You know, it dawns on me that last time I was here, I was five, and so things look a lot smaller now that I'm bigger, but you know, I think that that's something that we do anyway. I think not just memories grow, but I think when it comes to there's something really good, something that we love, it expands more and more in our lives. We give it more and more territory or we give it more and more of our lives because it's a good thing. And I think that's a, a natural instinct that we have, but at the same time, I think there's a danger in that. But let's bring that over to, to our lives today. Let me get back. I gotta get back through the corridor here. All right, man, it's a long corridor. Um, but, you know, seeing that, that house, you know, it's the biggest the, the biggest shocker is how large it had grown in my mind. And while it's a beautiful house, it's not quite as big as I had remembered it. It had been this big old mysterious mansion. Maybe you have a memory like that. When you think back about it over the years, it's just kind of grown and grown and grown. You think back about the good old days and, and uh, we, we probably remember them as being better than they were. You know, and we take a good thing and it, we just kind of grow it in our mind. And you know what? Uh, that's natural, and that's, for the most part, that's usually harmless. Um, but it's a different story because we also do that with the things presently in our lives. We'll have a good thing, and sometimes we'll say, okay, I have this good thing, so if I just get more and more of it, then naturally I'll get more and more good in my life, right? But that's not always the case. Uh, over the weekend, my wife, Rebecca, and I, we um, baked Christmas cookies with our three kids. And so we got out the cookie uh, dough and we rolled it out and we got, you know, all the little cookie cutters and we, you know, did the little shapes and some some Christmas trees and some reindeer and some star, a star and some, you know, some angels. And then, and then we baked it and then we let it cool and then we put all the frosting on it because I love a good amount of frosting on a Christmas cookie. In fact, the ratio, I would actually like double the frosting to cookie on, on a Christmas cookie. In fact, frosting with a little cookie. That's probably the best way to do it for me. And so we would frost these cookies and then we ate them and they were amazing. Okay. A good Christmas cookie like that. One good cookie. That's a good thing. 11 cookies. That is no longer a good thing. Okay. You can have so much of a, th of a good thing in your life that you can expand it more and more and more. And it's no longer a good thing in your life. And you say, well, no, I get that. I mean, you have to have moderation. You've got to have discipline and boundaries. There's certain things that you can't grow, grow too much in your life. Yeah, that's good to have balance and, and discipline. But that's actually uh, not, I think, what this passage speaks to. It, it's, it's actually taking it another step forward. There's some things in our life that are good things. But we expand it so much 
that it's like it becomes the thing. And it becomes the one thing that we're after. And it's like, man, if I can just, if I could just get this one thing, if I could just experience this, have this, earn this, become this, if I could just get this one thing, then everything, it's not just like good in my life, it's like everything will go okay in my life. Like at that point, like I'll feel secure. I'll feel like I, I know who I am. I've, I've accomplished my destiny. I've, I've got all the good things. I'll be safe. I'll be happy. I'll be, I'll be thriving. If I can just get this one thing, then I will really thrive and my whole life will come together. And we're looking for that one ultimate thing to give us something. Shalom. If I just get that one thing, then I will, everything in my life will holistically thrive. All the bad things go away. All the good things come in. I just want that one thing, shalom. But the problem is that whatever we're looking in our, to, to bring us shalom in our life, whatever we're looking at in our life to bring us shalom, that is what we worship. That's our idol. And the problem is, if we're expecting that to bring shalom, it's never going to deliver. We can keep expanding it, expanding it, expanding it. And it's much like this house. Okay, so up here on this stage, you've depicted this huge mansion. And it started as like this nice old house, but as it's expanded, expanded, expanded. I mean, this is a set. I mean, this is, uh, this is uh, screens and, and some walls, but you can't actually live in this. It would all collapse. And the same thing happens. It starts with a good thing, but we keep expanding it, expanding it, because it's the ultimate thing in our life. It's what we just need, but we can expand it so much that it collapses in on itself. Uh, let me just give you a couple common examples. Let's start with this. How about career? Is career a good thing? Oh, absolutely. Career is important. It's important for you to have a career. It's important for you to, to work hard and, and, in your life. It's important for you to, to try hard. It's important for you to have a sense of calling and to go out in the city, make an impact on this city through your gifts and experience. Career is important. Yes, it's a good thing. But what we can do is we can expand that good thing so much where we're looking to that one good thing to bring everything we want into our life. And so what we do is we prioritize it above everything else. And here's what eventually happens. It's not just a good thing that we're, we want more of in our life. And it's not just more of that thing we want in our life. It becomes so big that we actually give more of ourself to it. And so we take that ultimate thing, let's say career, and we actually serve that career and we organize everything else in our life around that career. And we're giving that career more reign and rule over our life. And everything else comes second. Say, so, well, hey, my number one priority, I've got to grow my career. I've got to achieve. I've got to accomplish. I know what I want to be. I'm trying to get there because if I just do that, everything else works out. I'll, I'll feel secure. I'll know my identity. I'll, I'll have provision. I'll have money. I'll have all the things that I want. And so we put our career first. And it's like, okay, but because of that, because I serve my career, because that career has reign and rule over my life, so other things are second. So, you know, I don't have as much time for my marriage as, as I, I probably would like, but I, I can't help it. I've got a career. I don't have as much time for my kids as I wish I did, but, you know, look, I got a, I got a career. I, I got a job. What can I do? I don't have time for friends. Unless those friends will actually help my career, then I might make some time for them. Otherwise, I, I don't really have time for, for friends. And, and you know, God, I mean, I don't really have much time for God, but I mean, he knows, and I sprinkle it in every now and then, but he knows what I'm working towards. And what we do is we expand that one thing to become that ultimate thing, and we just say, if I could just get to that next level, get that one job, bring the company to this one place, then all the shalom will come into my life. But the problem is it can't do that. It's too many expectations on something like career. And all it takes, it's, so, it's too flimsy. All it takes is a bad boss, 
a bad deal, one mistake, the industry to turn a different direction. All it takes is one thing to go differently and then it all comes crumbling down. A career cannot handle that kind of expectations. When we say, well, yeah, I, I know that, but there's other things that are more important like relationships. Yeah, relationships are important. A relationship's a good thing. Yeah, they're some of the best things in life. But you know, we can expand a relationship to where it becomes that ultimate thing. And we're looking to that thing to make everything else right in our life. Maybe you're a young adult and you say, man, if I could just find, I'm ready to start a family. If I could just find that husband, if I could just find that wife, if I could just start that family, that's the thing. Or maybe you're a young couple and you're like, man, if I could just have kids, you know, or, or maybe you have kids and you're saying, look, I mean, my, our whole life is like, we just have to, we're pouring into our kids. We want our kids to thrive and we can take any relationship. Maybe you're a teenager. And you're like, man, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if I could just find that, that relationship, you can make that, that one relationship kind of the ultimate thing you're looking for to deliver that shalom in your life. But no person on earth can actually deliver that because we're all fallible. We're all, we all make mistakes. We let each other down. And if I'm looking to that relationship, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that, that friend, that family member, that spouse, that child, if I'm looking to that relationship to bring the shalom, the completeness into my life, I'm going to crush that relationship. It's going to get squashed because no relationship on earth could possibly deliver that. But you know what the most obvious one is? It's funny. We know it won't deliver, but it keeps getting us as a culture over and over and over. It's money. Man, you know what would fix all my problems? If I just had some more money. If I had more money, man, that would fix all my problems. I'd, all my financial anxiety would go away. I'd have financial freedom. I'd, I'd be safe. I'd be secure. I'd be protected. I'd also have all the things that I want to buy. And, and, and I, I have all the, the clothes that I'd want. I have all the, the, the cars that I want. I have all the vacations that I want. I have the house that I want. I'd have all the things that I, I'd have all the joy and the fun and I'd, all the happiness and I have all the safety and security. But what I need is just more money and we can expand money. Is money a bad thing? No, but it's not an ultimate thing. And it certainly cannot deliver shalom. And you know what? Every single one of us knows that. Every one of us knows, man, more money is not going to bring more happiness into your life. We all know it, but so often we keep falling for it again and again and getting seduced in. We, we get intoxicated by it. If I could just have a little bit more, if I could just have a little bit more, then I would find joy. If I could just get by that one thing, then I'd have joy. And you know what? It gives a burst of happiness for about five minutes and then it's gone. If we keep expanding that bigger and bigger and bigger, and we know how flimsy it is, right? All it takes is a turn in the economy, something to change in the career. All it takes is one bad investment. It just takes one mistake. Man, it can't deliver the shalom it promises. Money is not going to make everything okay. See, what, what this text is saying is there is only one thing that if you expand its reign and rule over your life, if you give more of yourself to it, it is guaranteed to at the same time bring more shalom in your life. Who could possibly do that? It's the Prince of Shalom. It's Jesus Christ. If you give more and more of your life to King Jesus, you get more and more of his reign and rule in your life, you will get more and more of the shalom that the Bible promises into your life. You say, well, I know what you're saying. I mean, you're saying there's all these good things, you know, money's not a bad thing, you know, career's not bad, relationships. It's just, you gotta have balance, right? You just can't have too much of one thing or the other. You have to have balance. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I am not saying have balance. I'm saying, this text is saying have radical imbalance. 
all Jesus. All or nothing, because here's what you get when Jesus has greater rule in your life. You start with Jesus and he orders all of the other priorities in your life. He will order all the rest of it. You say, okay, Jesus, I'm starting with you. You're first. You are how I make all my decisions. You are what directs every single part of my life. My, my goals, my dreams, my future, my body, my resources. You're what governs all of my life. What's next? And then he says to those who are married, he says, okay, now you've got, you, you've got me first. Now let's talk about your marriage. Now let's talk about your children. Now let's talk about all these other good things in your life too, like your, your friendships and your church community and, and your career, all these other things in your life. See, you start with Jesus and the Prince of Shalom will order everything else in your life. If you give Jesus more reign and rule in your life, you will gain more shalom in your life. You know, I, I don't know where you're at in your journey with Jesus. Maybe you say, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I came to church maybe three or four times last year, and I'll do better. Like, I'll, I'll make it like six or, or eight times. That's I'm going to do better. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something far more profound than that. I'm saying give him your entire life. Surrender your life. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. It's not sprinkling more Jesus, dialing up more Jesus. It is giving him your life and making him the king over your life. And when that happens, you will see the shalom growing in your life. You know, in here, we're, we're in all different seasons and stages of life. So I want to start with you kids. You kids in here, here's what I want you to take away from, from today. What this passage is saying is that Jesus is the king. And maybe you know that it's, he's the king of kings, but he wants to be the king of your life. And you have to welcome him into your life and make him the king over your life. Teenagers, students, middle school, high school, college, you're already starting to see those things in your life that are consuming. And there are things in your life that have captured your attention and captured your imagination. Maybe it's that relationship that we talked about. Maybe it's some athletic or academic achievement. Maybe that, that, that school you're dying to go to or that career that you're starting to desire. You already have those things in your life. <coughs> Excuse me. You already have those things in your life that are capturing your attention. Can I challenge you? What it's doing is it's promising shalom. It's promising that everything will be okay if you just get that one thing. And it's a lie. The only thing that can deliver shalom in your life is King Jesus. Make Jesus your king in your life. Give him your life. Now, the earlier you make Jesus your king, the earlier your life gets flooded with shalom. Young adults, you're already being shown the things that the world has to offer. Pleasure, money, career, opportunity. Don't fall for it. Don't be seduced into the things that this world has to offer because God has so much more to offer. He has the things that this world cannot give you. He wants to bring holistic thriving into your life. He wants to give you the things that this world can't, can't quite fully get. He wants to bring love and joy and peace coming welling up out of your soul. Give your life to Jesus. Make Jesus your king. Young families, Young with, with children, maybe young children or maybe teenage children, you're going in every different direction of your life and you're overwhelmed by all the responsibilities. You're like, oh, I know it's exhausting to think about adding more Jesus, but I'll try to add more Jesus in, but it's, it's hard to budget all of it. No, no, don't do that. Just wipe the slate clean and just start with Jesus because he says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Start with Jesus and he'll equip you for all the rest. Season at all, whatever season that you're in, make Jesus your king. Maybe you're here and you say, look, I, I'm, I'm not a religious type. I've been running from religion 
and you say, man, the reason is because I, I just want to maintain control over my life. I just feel like if I do religion, I'll be in a straitjacket. It'll just strang put a stranglehold on my life. It's because you don't realize who the king is. He's the prince of shalom. Take a step of faith and find freedom. Give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you say, look, I, I, I would have called myself a Christian all my life, but I'm still really running my life and I just have a little bit of Jesus here and there. No, no, that's not what it means. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Make Jesus your king. It's not a calling to religion. It's a call to salvation and to be saved is to receive the gift of the son and to make him king of your life. It's more than just calling yourself a Christian. Make Jesus your king. You can do that today. Seasoned Christian. Maybe say, look, Jesus is my Lord. He's my savior. But if I'm honest, there's things creeping up in my life that are vying for my attention. And they're, they're, I'm, I'm falling for the trap that they're promising shalom. Put that aside. Exclusively make Jesus the king. Let his reign expand in your life and see how he expands that shalom in your life. I want to close with this. The night Jesus was born, there were shepherds. Like any other night for them. And then an angel burst into the night. And he made an announcement. It must have just floored them. They must have been terrified. He said, born to you, it's a gift to you this day in the city of David, a Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll find him as a, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then what happened ne next? It's never but happened for or since. It must have been sensory overload. The angels emptied out of heaven and burst into our world and lit up the sky. And they sang. They couldn't hold it back anymore. They sang glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. They came in announcing that the one who finally was bringing the shalom this world is aching for had finally come. Receive the king, the prince of shalom into your life. Let his reign and rule expand through your life and welcome in the shalom that he brings. Let me pray for us. Wherever you're at in your journey, maybe you're, you want to receive the gift of the Son and to make him your king. And if you want to take that step, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. You can know for sure that you've found salvation. You can know for sure that Jesus has become the king of your life. Don't leave here unsure. So whether you're a man, woman, child, take a step, make Jesus your king. And you can do that just through a simple prayer. You're just receiving the gift. I'll lead you in a prayer. Just silently make this your prayer to Jesus. He hears you. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my king. Thank you for saving me. I will follow after you. Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.